annual Manchester Football Writing Festival uh, at this wonderful National Football Museum that we have in Manchester, uh, which is a place that tells stories about football. So it seems like an appropriate place to, to hold the opening event of the Football Writing Festival, although we didn't do that last year, I think it was somewhere else. This is much better, either way. Joining me, I'm Rory Smith, um, and we'll basically be asking questions, you don't need to know too much about me, are uh, Miguel Delaney, uh, the Chief Football Correspondent of the Independent, and author of Stuttgart to Sign Pan, which is a book you will not have read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next to him is Jonathan Northcroft, the Football Correspondent of the Sunday Times, and author of Fearless, uh, a fictional work set in a world in which Wes Morgan has won the Premier League, and Jonathan Wilson, the inventor of football tactics, and the author of more books than it is healthy to read, the most recent of which is the Barcelona Legacy, looking at the relationship between Barcelona and modern football through Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho, uh, which, since we're in Manchester, seems like a pretty sensible place to start. So, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Uh, when do you think Jose Mourinho will drive to Dundee in his bare feet? <laughs> two ways. One is he sees out the season and it'll be painful and grim and miserable and United will finish fourth and that'll be just good enough. The other is it goes very badly wrong, come on please, and there's a serious danger of United not getting the chance next season and he's gone in November. Jonathan, go on with that. Um, well I, I, mean, I think spiritually he's halfway up the road to Dundee already. <laughs> Climbing Mars bars, and um, it looks like to me he, he wants out. And I, I think it looks like to me that the club also, on some level, wants him out. When you look at the, the fact that the chief executive or executive chairman and him uh, have completely different ideas now about where the club should go in terms of transfers, that's not a recipe for, for a manager like Mourinho staying. I think what we're seeing at the moment is meltdowns, um, strong behaviour that we've seen from him before that are very much part of the, the Jersey endgame. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's gone next month. That's one thing that's really struck me about Mourinho in the last two years, although it seems like much longer, as it always does in Jota, is he's never really seemed happy in Manchester. He, it was almost as though he got the job and was immediately quite gloomy, and I don't really understand why that might be. Well, living in Gazelle with the Corby Trouser Press, at least, says something about as well. Uh, I actually I think Sunday will tell a lot because um, just of who they're playing and when it's coming. Because I remember in that 2015 16 Chelsea season, every week you're kind of thinking it's Chelsea, the champions, or the top six side. Surely now it'll get back to normal. And every week it's got sensationally worse. And I, so I think if that happens this week, this should be the sort of game where you dig in and get a result. But if they don't, that it, I think it will emphasise and reveal that this is a season where all bets are off and it could really be a Chelsea game. I mean, whatever about a Mourinho third season, for a Mourinho 2015-16 season, all the pieces are there now. So I think I actually think Sunday will, will tell us. I think there's almost a sense it's happening quicker than in 2015 season. Maybe that's because we've seen it before and so we're anticipating it. But what happened in that press conference on Monday, you've, you've just seen the sides be beaten 3-0 by you know, one of your rivals for the, for the top four. And you, you're there trying to tell people, actually, tactically, this wasn't a defeat. Strategically, we didn't lose. And then the journalist has the nerve to point out that, wow, wasn't it 
which is literally just the score. I mean, that's not fake news in any sense. It was the score of the game that they had just played. And he storms out. Yeah. So, that, that level of... We didn't actually see that in 2015-16 until halfway through October when they lost home to Raptors. And he went that bizarre round to the sky, wasn't he? Um, was that the Stanford Bridge? Yeah, Stanford Bridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I thought Monday night showed he is not as in control of the attendance as we think that he is. Because, uh, I mean, the backdrop to that from a PR point of view was, you know, negativity of the week before caused by Brighton. Uh, he has his, his, his three-minute press conference on Friday where he turns up early, creates a, another negative story by, you know, shortchanging the, the, the media, all that sort of stuff. And he was clearly either told or decided that he needed to sort of grab back some positivity. So he then does an interview with MUTV, sort of hideously saccharine interview where the first question is, don't all these journalists get it wrong? Isn't Carrington the most wonderful place whenever we, we come to work? And he smiles and, 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 and he says how relaxed he is, how brilliant he is, um, how happy he is at Manchester United. His, his interview before the game against Spurs was, was full of the same sort of fake positivity. The interview after the game, again, was, was sort of trying to do that, that, that sort of Mourinho smile. So I think it was entirely against his plan or the club's plan to do what he did. But, but, but he's, he's not, he's a very emotional man who's, who's clearly under pressure. He's not in control of this. Two things about that as well, especially in relation to what we're here for, to discuss the football or the media. One, it feels a very old hat tactic, this thing of a, if I say something in the press conference, it'll deflect the results. When it doesn't, it brings more questions. But secondly, and I, I, again, this feels like cliche, but I think it's actually very true. It's very transparent Trumpism that while the real world has all these headlines that are impossible to dispute it, and actual results are be, be a 3 0 defeat uh, replacing the economy, while all this is happening, he's appealing to his quote unquote support base and complaining about the fake news media when but it has, to an extent, successfully with them up, I think. I think the point you make is really interesting as to to what extent did he mean to do that. And I think we still have a slight tendency, and it's, it's diminished, um, to see Mourinho as this great Machiavellian figure, this great puppet master, and you assume everything he's done, he's done for effect. And this again goes back to 1516 and the whole way the thing. That I think well, certainly two of us were. Were you there, Rekha, Johnny? Yeah. The, the, the two people in Swansea. And my first reaction when he starts laying into the medical staff was, oh, this is classic deflection. But then you see the footage from the camera behind the goal, and you can see, you can actually see Mourinho's reaction as Ed Camero uh, and John Fern run past him. And that's genuine anger. He's genuinely you know, no longer in control of his emotions. And I, my suspicion is Monday was not a deflection, that was just the emotions bubbling over. And it wasn't a Machiavellian tactic, it was just him losing control. I, I've always thought that there's, there's been a tendency to assume, and not just with Mourinho, but with other managers who were masters of mind games, to not only to take fairly puerile insults and dress them up as great psychological warfare, but also to, to give them an agency that they don't necessarily have, which is often stuff that is said in the heat of the moment after the end. They're not really thinking about it. We then, as a media, to create a, a storyline around football, we then give that to the media that perhaps it doesn't have. But I do wonder with Mourinho, and obviously we all have the gender next joke, that's how this works, but the, does all this stuff 
made him, whenever he leaves Manchester United, whether that's next week, whether it's the end of the season, whether it's after three glorious victories in the Champions League, do, does it make him less employable? Do clubs want this stuff attached to them anymore? Or has the world kind of moved on a bit? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Man. I think he's making himself steadily less employable the more he does things like that because to me it looks like football and particularly football management has become quite a lot about you know entertainment or the providing of entertainment or the creating of a sort of feel-good factor. People are seeing football a little bit differently to, to how they used to. Maybe, maybe it's this, this is what it's like in the 1920s when every game was 7-5 or whatever before tactics were invented. But, you know, when football was, was joy, and, and we do seem to be going back to that, you know, where, where fans are embracing managers who, who just make the feel good. Marco Silva at, at, at Everton. You know, I look at Marco Silva as somebody who, who is actually, in old-fashioned terms, a serial failure, but is embraced by, by yeah. fans of different clubs because he makes them feel good. It, it's a big thing, Mourinho, in contrast to all his rivals like Hensel and Plains and their coverage. With United, you go to a game, even as a journalist, oh Christ, what's going to be today? It's going to be grim. Whereas with Liverpool or City or Spurs, their fans are going to a game expecting a show, expecting excitement. And even if they don't win trophies, the football they play offers a more kind of exciting prospect of actually winning trophies. I think that ties into the, the show. I know we're going to come into Man City's documentary later, but it ties into this idea, I suppose, that there's an obligation for these companies now, as much put on a football match, as put on something they entertain, to put on the big show. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I remember speaking to a guy called Alex Finn, who's a, I don't know if anyone remembers him, he, he worked for Saatchi and Saatchi, he helped set up the, the Champions League 20 years ago, he's a bit of a sort of football <laughs> futurologist, and, and 20 years ago he said that he could see a day when you know, football become too expensive, uh, fans stopped going organically, and then the model sort of shifted on to everything being uh, you know, tailored around TV, and supporters would end up becoming like the extras on top of the pops. They would be almost active, sort of busting the stadiums to, to, to be part of the show. And now, you know, clearly we're, 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 not, we're not there yet. But what he was talking about, football becoming this kind of like tele television entertainment and not this kind of visceral, um, you know, win-lose um, scenario that it used to be. I think there's an element of that happening. I never saw an extra on top of the box hire a plane to fly a band. <laughs> and now I'm wondering whether they were doing their job properly. The, the other thing I wanted to come on, we'll come on to questions, I think, on Mourinho, because I'm guessing there's quite a lot of people in the audience who, who have a view on Jose. The one thing I wanted to ask as well is, we've seen this pattern before, where he, he picks fights with players, Anthony Martial seems to be the most obvious example. He directs his fire towards the board, and he's not the only manager in football who does that. Uh, in, in this case, it's Ed Woodward. Do any of you think there's a lasting damage from Mourinho in terms of the relationship that the fans have with their club as a whole once he's gone? He does seem to force people to pick sides, either him or everybody else. Yeah, and I think there can be. Um, yeah, the, the, the counter example, I guess, would be Real Madrid, who recovered very, very quickly. Um, it was three years, though, actually, I think. But it, was, it wasn't the level of the Champions League, because there was still that element of particularly Madrid's right-wing fans of the ultras who almost admire this authoritarian figure because it kind of fit their vision of what a manager should be and the way he whipped them up. Yeah, and I guess before the time got there, you know, there was a, a level of toxicity. But I mean, certainly what happened to him until what happened to Chelsea the first time around, there was this toxic legacy that, um, you know, I think one of the great ironies of, of Chelsea 
you know, a club that I think in many ways defies logic repeatedly. But when Rafa Benitez was there for that, that spell as interim coach, and he sort of slowly throws John Terry out, and he sort of thought, well, okay, he's finally sort of washed away the final vestiges of Mourinhoism. And then, of course, the new manager comes in and immediately brings Terry back in, and, you know, the, the, you know Mourinhoism is, is back. So I, I think he does leave a legacy, and I think um, there, there are huge dangers that you get splits within the fan group, which are not easily reconcilable. Because frankly, the hardcore Mourinho, yeah, I think it's possible to, to still be sport Mourinho and not be bonkers, <laughs> but there is a significant proportion of the Mourinho support who have lost all grip on reality and are seeing black as white and white as black and are arguing from a position that makes no logical sense. And so once you're back in that kind of corner, you kind of can't turn around and go, what's I doing there? You, they have the Chelsea play 1516. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the Chelsea fans holding up the banners, calling players rats. It's, it's all very strange. And yeah, for, from Chelsea's point of view, at least Conte was a big enough figure to, to flush that out straight away, but, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And it does depend on the appointment. So with Liverpool, that that split existed after Benitez left, and it, it hit the fights that he picked maybe for slightly different reasons to Jose, although that may depend on your interpretation. But that basically lasted until Klopp was appointed. That there was a section of Liverpool support who you felt perhaps supported Benitez more than the club. That, that without Benitez there. Liverpool was somehow lesser in their eyes, and whether that might happen with Mourinho and Manchester United, I don't know. See, I actually think this is another area where Mourinho is losing his touch. I, I don't think he does mobilise Manchester United fans in the way they used to mobilise Chelsea fans, or the way that Benitez still does for, for Newcastle supporters. And I felt he completely misinterpreted what happened at full-time on Monday, which is really the Stratford end being the Stratford end. And, and, you know, enormously loyal supporters who have still got that ethos that Manchester United and the club is bigger than anything that's happening in the here and now and will always support the club and manager whoever it is. And I, I felt the small number that stayed were just expressing that and, and not expressing any great love for Benito, for, for, for Mourinho. And I don't speak to Manchester United supporters, apart from one who works for my newspaper in South Africa. Who, <laughs> Supporter, who are Jose uh, aficionados in the way that you speak to Chelsea supporters who, who you know, he's, he's lost a lot of love there, but there are still Chelsea supporters fighting the Mourinho fight. I think the Manchester United supporters are still behind them, you know, feel free to tell me otherwise, are behind their club, but not necessarily Jose first. Would anyone out there disagree with that, support it, or accuse us of a witch hunt? If there's any questions about Jose Manchester United, now may be the time. Um, we should have a microphone somewhere. Is this working out pretty easy in my horrible voice? Hi everyone. Um, I was wondering just on that last comment you made about whether the support for the Manchester United manager was sort of actually real or not, and this sort of whether it's actually true. Um, I was wondering from your perspectives on social media, what's it been like receiving comments 
I remember there was an episode of Set Piece Menu, casual plug, um, where you talk about the attitudes of fans on social media being like really trivial and really horrible. I was wondering what's happened. Is the support for the Manchester United manager more obvious online than it is at the ground? My, my, my instinct would be that it probably is in a way that everything is much more kind of entrenched online, but I'll hand it over to Mike. Give it to Mixie, and Mixie's on Twitter. Yeah, that is true. Mixie's original introduction to this was going to be a man who has probably insulted me on Twitter in the last 72 hours. <laughs> but he told me I wasn't allowed to do it. Hash. Although, obviously, no. Um, no, uh, I, I actually think with Mourinho, um, I think by the nature of what he is, and the levels. Well, I, I agree with Johnny in the sense that some of it is just United fans supporting the United manager. Because I think actually it took about six or seven months for there to be really open criticism voids. For, for a long time, that was met with resistance. Um, yeah, about Van Gaal as well, yeah. But I do think it's gone next level really. So I think there are a portion of fans who want to buy in to um, the, this whole anti-media thing he's, he's, he's whipped up as well. Because um, it's, it's, it's quite odd, our job in that sense as well. That it, it, there, is, there is an element that, is, that can just get very good to any criticism of the club, so it can focus on football journalists. And yeah, I, I, think I think it has been worse than Mourinho. It has been worse than pretty much any other situation bar maybe when Liverpool was at, maybe the, some of the Suarez stuff around them. This is the most intense I've encountered anyway. Well, the other thing that separates it from quite a lot of stuff is just how much Twitter there is. There's just so much Twitter, even compared to Suarez, which was toxic. There's, there's millions more accounts. There's this whole that Russian troll factory. If they're all involved, it's awful. The, um, the, the other two things I think are quite important. One is that it feels like Jose is deliberately kind of leveraging a lot of that sentiment to his own ends. And the other, I completely forgot which is extremely irritating. Uh, do either of you two have a view whilst I try and remember? That's not helpful at all. The, uh, I think, yeah, I, think, I, I do think there's a sense that Joe's doing it deliberately because he knows that that sentiment is there and that he can kind of use that. Because the one thing that makes Joe's and Trump really similar is that. <laughs> do not tweet that. <laughs> but he's right. The other. No, is, is there kind of a natural sort of inherent understanding of news cycles? And Jose, Ma jo Jose manufactures these situations really well. He knows what will play well with the crowd. So if you look at the press conferences, he's been a manager for like, what, 16 years? He knows that if he walks out of the press conference after three minutes, the journalists will report that because journalists love talking about journalism. And if, if he didn't want that to be a story, then he just sat down, spoken, he only does 10 minutes normally anyway. It's not like it's a massive use of his time. Offered one or two decent answers and left. That's what that's what he's expected to do. He knows if he deviates from that, it will be picked up. So he did that on purpose. The same with the respect thing. He knows what he's doing. So you have to assume that he's trying to manage the news cycle. You are right about it, Rory, but I just think it's something. It's a trick that is getting less and less effective over time. We're all so used to watching Jersey now that you know we'll just be constructed in a minute. We can see what he's doing. Whenever I watch him try to shift the agenda. I just think that's one more thing that you don't do as well as Alex Ferguson used to. You know, and I, I mean, the, the biggest example I can remember of Fergie was he took Manchester United up to Rangers to play a pre-season game. 
Cantona, this was pre-Crystal uh, Palace, but Cantona destroyed someone with a tower, a hideous, petulant Cantona-style tackle, got sent off, it was, it was, it was going to be a huge story. And Fergie came at the press conference afterwards and he went, what about sectarianism? It's terrible, isn't it? Like, <laughs> Tell him to sit apart. And it just became this whole Fergie attacks of angels for the songs. Brilliant, nobody mentioned Cantona. But that's another thing about Jaws in that sense, in that I think it was more successful in terms of dealing with the media because most of it was actually, there was a bit of charm about that there was a mischief, whereas now it's one tone all the time, it's surly and angry. And I think that actually ties into the management of the team as well, because even, I was even thinking about, say, this situation now, or 2015-16 with Chelsea, compared to, say, one of Ferguson's crisis, like, 96, when they lost five minutes in Newcastle, six weeks after. I think a woman with Ferguson came in, not angry, which was like the messing stops now, and kind of went to build the confidence team as well. Whereas with Jose and the way he deals with players, all the talk is that either it's extreme fury, which is quite rare, but more often than not, the cold treatment, which just helps actually create more and more tension. And it feels like he just doesn't link to his immediate forms. He doesn't have the deafness, deafness of someone like Ferguson. But I also think his motivation is slightly different. Uh, you know, although Ferguson very, very clearly did manipulate the media, you always sense he was doing it for the good of the club. I think the media is doing it for the good of Jose. Yeah. And that's, you know, if you, if you read from, sorry, I know, but you know, now the city CEO, formerly the director of Barca, if you read his book, which is a deeply boring book, but there's one really good bit, to quote my book, Sally Bible. And he talks about why, uh, in 2008, they got signed away for Guardiola and Mourinho. You know, come down and try to treat the two of them. And one of the, you know, the, the list of criteria, one of them was, you know, in his media announcements, you know, does he enhance the image of the club? And you know, they looked at Mourinho and went, no, he, he tries to enhance the image of Jason Mourinho, and that will always be his, you know, his, his first priority. He's looking for excuses. And so he will pick scapegoats within the squad, because an enemy within is the best kind of enemy, because you can isolate them, you can pull everybody else together. So he starts with Luke Shaw, and now seems to be Anthony Martial. A Woodward perhaps also put those on well, you know, the board's easy to blame, you know, we all slag off our bosses. Um, that's one thing fundamental to Mourinho's entire media strategy, whatever about it is, if he goes to fans or even some performance in life, he will ultimately reach for anything that saves space for Jose Mourinho. And that, that's what basically comes down to and the perception of him. And even, you sometimes feel with some of the Ed Woodward stuff recently that he's not so much saying it to protect his reputation now, but in terms of if it does go wrong, you know, any future jobs, well, look, it wasn't my fault. That this, so this is all kind of out there and muddy in the discussion. Let's have another question, I think. Uh, Dealer's choice, to be honest. Uh, there's a, two chaps right Would you like to touch on it now? I'll touch on it briefly. Good. 
Retain your best content for later. <laughs> okay, my, my second best content of Corey. Um, I, I think there, there is a truth to that, um, that the priorities are different. But I also think um, there's an issue with Mourinho's fit with the directors now. If we give the, the United Directors the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, football still matters to them, um, but they start to think, hang on, why, why do we want to sign a 30-year-old centre-back, a 28-year-old centre-back for you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 million? What's their resale value? You know, do we really want to just give 60 million to get a player who we're not going to be able to sell on? And they start to ask, yeah, as Chelsea began to ask four or five years ago, you know, why can't we bring in a you know, 23, 24 year old? Why can't we do what we're seeing from the and develop players in our own academy? Why can't we do this in a more economic way? But the truth is, if you point Jason Mourinho, that's not what you get. If you point Pochettino, that's what he's great at. If you point Mourinho, he brings in a finished article, preferably somebody who has a point to prove. You know, his, his first Chelsea side was full of players who were sort of 90% of the finished product, but for whatever reason, hadn't quite won things. Um, and you know, he, he, he enabled them, he gave them, you know, they had that hunger already, and he was able to harness that. Um, but you know, you're not going to be able to do that with 22, 23 year olds. That's something you do with players who are already established but feel that they need to go a little bit further. So I, I think there's a disjunct there between how the board thinks things should be done and how Jose thinks things should be done. But there's also, I think, you know, as, as you say, there's an issue that the board are delighted that it's like whatever share price of the club's now valued at £3.2 million. Billion pounds. Um, and actually, if, they, if United finish third or fourth this season, well, look at the share price, it's not that bad. My, my favourite thing with Josh Mourinho is the, the thing about youth development really gets to him. And I know Mitch was there when he did a presser at Chelsea when we asked him about his youth development record. And he said, no, I think it's complete bollocks. Really great developing. You've looked at my Porto team, and he cited Vitor Bayer, who'd been about 30 when Mourinho started coaching. They claimed him as a homegrown product that he was responsible for. Well, the entire team was over 28. He hadn't been anything to do with any of them at all. I think Ashley Young's on his list now, isn't he? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I think you're entirely right. That, the, the feeling of watching Manchester United over the last few years is. You know, do you know your football club anymore in terms of the people who run it? But I actually think in, in, in the last two weeks, this spat between, or this, this disagreement between Woodward and Mourinho has actually given me a bit of encouragement on the, on the football side. Because I think that the best news from, Man, from a Manchester United point of view was Woodward and the board saying, no, we're not going to sign quick fix players anymore. We want to sign young. Uh, superstars of the future, we wanted to, to develop them. Uh, and that suggested at least retained a glimmer of understanding of what Manchester United are about. Or they're starting to be focused on what Manchester United are about. So if that's the way they want to go, and I think this, this is a, there's a wider point from United now, that they need to define what they want to do. Whether that's keeping Jose or, 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 or going back to the roots, I think, I think it's just sort of enough is enough in terms of the post fogey lurching from one thing to the other. But from what I can gather, speaking to people around it, and from what I can see from, from, from the, the, the transfer disagreement, I think Woodward believe he is uh, learning perhaps, 
what Manchester United should be doing. And that might mean getting rid of Jose Mourinho, but if, 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 he, if he does, if he at least has an idea of what Manchester United should look like, I think that would be an improvement in the last couple of years. To be, to be fair to Woodward in that, even though he deserves a lot of criticism for some of the management of the football side, there is a logical football sense to the decisions he's made this summer. Yeah. Even so far, I know it's been talked about, oh, we need to have more football expertise in Mourinho because Mourinho wanted a centre-half and he's going to play that But again, that's not quite what it's about. And the same thing, I suppose, with the Martial decision to come out today. That, I mean, there's both the football rationale for that and the business rationale. And it does, it does at least indicate that maybe Woodward is learning a bit more and he's not giving me any reason around like that, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not backing him in that regard. I knew that in the end, did you have a view on that? When I asked you if you wanted the microphone, and you went, no, I thought not a chance that last. Uh, this was a question there. Hi. Um, being a veteran of the uh, writing festival, if we write um, wind the tape back to last year, you know, wholesalers there, that was a big season, we won two trophies, just had a brilliant transfer window, everyone was jumping up and down about Pogba, and we were talking about Pep started off really slutched it against Bournemouth, drawn against Everton, the jury was still out. At what point do you think was the tipping point for wholesale last year? Do you think it was the, the game at Old Trafford with the 2-1 the where they were outplayed? Or at what point do you think he knew, you know, it was on the turn? It's really the question of completely reject the idea that anything we said last year was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely right. Uh, I, yeah, that's a good question. When, when did it start to go sour, Marina? It's a really good, something actually that's worth thinking about. It's a good question. But to, for me, the season turned, uh, or, or, or Jose's, I think his deeper most sort of feelings about where he is and his team were exposed to Anfield when he went to play, you know, United were in a great run, Liverpool were really struggling, struggling for personnel, struggling for results. And you expect them to go and attack Liverpool. And the fact that he, he, he went and he just completely killed the momentum of his own club season um, and, and, and played so negatively and then tried to celebrate and talk up a nil nil. That to me suggested he realised that it isn't that good. What he's got isn't that good. And I, 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 I think the City bandwagon is something that, that he may have seen coming even the season before that. But that, 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 that showed an, almost an inferiority complex to me about Jose that, that he wasn't willing to just do, you know, do, do what Pep would have done in that game, do what Liverpool, do when they go away from home. Uh, that showed the downside of that's about what Also, four days after that Liverpool game, they played away to Benfica. Uh, they won one nil with a keeper error. But two weeks after that, I was actually at an event with the Benfica president who was speaking to me. He spoke about the crowd about how he met with Benfica, he was talking to Mourinho after that game. And one of the things we really have gone about more than anything else was how difficult it is to financially compete with City. I, I think probably the real relevance of that is Mourinho finally putting it out there and look, look at the job and this, this is this is impossible. So it might, it might have been that summary maybe when City signed all those pullbacks. Well, I mean, this, I'm relying on memory here, which is not necessarily a great idea, but I, I think the day that goal was scored Anfield, it was a lunchtime kickoff, and I remember sitting in the taxi going to Liverpool Station. And Lime Street was closed, so I had to go to South Park, which takes ages. And on the radio, uh, I can't in the car with, but we were listening to the city absolutely battering Watford away. So on the day that United put in this grim, you know, 
performance get a goal to score. They're sitting going away from home, and is it six 0 the Watford game? Or yeah, a, a huge win. So I think I think you're absolutely right. That day was was critical. I think your point about the, the derby that was sort of the, the confirmation. And then I think the sort of uh, the cap on it was a severe game. But that, you know, the Champions League was a place where, okay, league's gone, City, you know, 15, 20 points clear, whatever. But the Champions League, there's no reason why, yeah, United couldn't have sort of dragged their way through that. We've seen, seen teams before who's fought as great, who, you know, find a, a, you know, a way to win. And they were so negative against a pretty average, severe side away, get the goals draw. And then dreadful at home. I mean, really bad at home. And, and so you know, that was sort of, for me, was sort of like, that's it, it's gone, this isn't coming back. The, the, other, you know, the other games you could sort of see some way to be turned around. That severe game was, this is staggeringly bad, something fundamental has gone wrong here. The, uh, this half was also meant to come was talking about Man City, um, which is not, we've, we've forgotten. <coughs> City fans are just not used to the idea that when you're really, really good, it gets quite boring for everybody else. <laughs> um, are there any more questions on Jose? There are. Uh, there's two over here. You can take them in whichever order you come to them. Um, Miguel touched on it earlier. Um, how is the, Mourinho's charm and the, the media savvy of his early days at Chelsea had kind of gone cold almost. And I think the media have got a, a tendency to portray Mourinho as a villain rather than an anti hero almost. And do you think it's a possibility that? This crisis button has been pressed way too early because I know in his pre-season and um, during that game when he got beat by Sevilla 2-1, that he said, you know, with the football heritage, United have gone through a period of instability after getting the Sarah Alex Ferguson. And uh, yeah, I just think it's possibly a bit too early that the media but the crisis button has been pressed. No, you can't press crisis button too early. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the point about he used to be an anti-hero and now he's become a villain, I think it's very apt. So you look back at those early days at Chelsea, I mean, you know, we got up to his press conferences, even me, I even I went to press conferences. Um, and you, know, you, you look forward to them, because he'd say something outrageous, it'd be funny. You know, he was sort of like the Richard III figure that, yeah, okay, he's probably not on the side of the angels, but, you know, it's fun anyway. And that, that sense of fun is gone. And that, I think, is partly, he's become a, a sourer figure. I think partly, when you touched on earlier, there's a, there's, a, there's a familiarity there now that rather than sort of accepting his perfections and, and sort of almost being taken in by them, we now sort of just go, oh look, there's Joseph reflecting again. Um, I, I mean, I think it's, I mean, crisis, okay, maybe it's not quite a crisis, but it's a big, big problem. You know, they've lost two games already this season, City lost two in the whole last season. You know, they're already four points behind C, six points behind four clubs. Uh, I can't, I can't see how they, they suddenly go on a, a lot of, you know, twelve wins in a row or something that could, could close that. And plus, there's, there's Mourinho's history that third season's always when it starts to go wrong. Well, it started to go wrong quite a while ago, and the third season, I think this time is when it's, it's going to collapse. I think the other thing to remember is that Jose's fifty-five, and he. he to be fair, he's, he's aging pretty well as Jose. He doesn't look, he can't look sort of unkempt at the moment, but he, you know, he's, he's better looking than that, than 55. But when he was 40, when he started at Chelsea, it's one thing being the, the slightly chippy, kind of cocky, swaggering figure when you're a, a relative manager of novice. 
he's, he's kind of held the statesman age now, to be honest. He should be behaving better. And as all three have said, there is this sort of sourness to his performances now. And that's one that looks different on a, on a young manager than it does on a relatively old manager. And I think that doesn't do him any favours at all. On exactly that, I've heard that it irritates him that people like Klopp, oh, he does like Pochettino, but he doesn't like that someone else has the status that he used to. That was basically the, the bright young thing that everyone kind of, you know, had out of his hand. I mean, on, on, on the sort of results or the, the short term thing, I do take that point. Um, if you look at United in 2008-9, where they end up Champions League final, win the Premier League, win the League Cup, win the Club World Cup, they had a worse season, a worse start of the season than that. I think they won in the first six games, uh, lost to Liverpool, disastrous start of the season. But it's it's not about reacting to a short-term set of results. It's about the context of Jose at, at, at Manchester United. Uh, it's about not seeing over two years before now the signs of Manchester United playing the way you'd expect either Manchester United to play or a Jose Mourinho successful team to play. I don't think we've seen either of those two things. It's seeing it's seeing losing the cup final tamely last year when he sets up this whole season to be about winning trophies and yet he can't he can't do what he used to be able to do. It's about being 19 points behind City and then him saying that's the greatest of one of the greatest achievements of his managerial career, which just sounds like a, a beaten man if he's if he's genuine about that. So I, I think coming into this season there was a sense that if it's going to happen for him, it has to happen now and it has to happen pretty spectacularly. And, you know, gut instinct on what we've seen so far is getting worse and, and not better. And, and I, I think that's what we're able to react to, not just two bad results in a week. There used to be a thing that, sort of 20, 25 years ago, that, that you'd look at the Italian papers on Gazetta on Channel 4, and it would always be if Juventus had drawn, Gazetta would always say, Juventus in crisis, and we used to laugh at the Italians, and oh my god, they're so short term, these Italians, they're so, so emotional. We never do that. It's worse now if any of the big teams drop points. It is, it's a disaster, and the papers dress up as a disaster, and that goes into a massive conversation about the nature of media and kind of trying to compete in a dwindling market and all that. But the crucial thing with Jose is, well, he's talked himself into this. Because if he'd not said all that stuff in the summer about how how he was being let down by the board and how the squad, you know, certain of his players weren't committed enough. The mood of United as they went into the season would have been different enough, perhaps, certainly to survive losing to Brighton. So that's the sort of thing that could happen. Brighton were great that day, they were great on the field last week. You might not get away with being smashed through the line by Spurs as United managers, but it wouldn't quite have had the kind of apocalyptic air about it. And I think, to an extent, he's talked himself into this problem because now it does look like a dysfunctional club. If he doesn't say that stuff, maybe it doesn't look quite so dysfunctional. Uh, we have one other question over there, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Mourinho does seem the problem at United, but for me, it seems too pronged as well. Like, I know we'll talk about it later on with City, but they seem to be 10 years ahead of United, and I wonder what, what you think about um, United maybe getting a direction of football that's been spoken about in the media and I know I know it kind of talks about Mourinho but I don't think he'll be there. Maybe in the short term he will but moving forward is this the, the catalyst United getting a director of football like what you maybe see at, at Munich and at Juventus will that be the catalyst to at least shorten that gap to City and the rest of elite Europe? Yeah I'd say it's absolutely essential I mean because ultimately 
And we were talking to an agent about this recently, that uh, the most best run clubs are literally clubs that have a sense of, of what they are, so they can build from that platform. And it's what Liverpool have done really well in the two years now with Klopp, and particularly who they've signed. And so it's what United need to do is to find that football identity, and you don't do that without an actual football staff. And to be fair, to see, I mean, I think we're going to come on to this later, but whatever about how they have their money and what that means, and obviously the huge moral questions there, but in terms of how the club, and just the football club have used the money, I mean, someone described to me basically is they basically went to the Facebook of football, well, before all the kind of uh, privacy issues, but they went to the Facebook in terms of kind of reshaping and meeting the scene or whatever, which was Barcelona, so they had the best minds in, and, and just it, it imposed the cleverest football structure on the club, and, and we're now seeing the effect of that. So United basically have to do something similar, but I just think they've got, they've got to do something more fundamental, which is bring in someone that knows how to instill an identity in the club, and every, every decision that the football club makes from there fits into that. I mean, I broadly agree with that. Uh, I think the danger, though, is how does Chelsea spot having to the football falling above it? Because when Alfred Grant arrived at Chelsea, you know, he, he was gone six months later. I think he was pretty well qualified after Grant to that job. He was, he was the guy you want then to be the director of football. But I think that needs a director of football more than anything else. You heard after Fergie left at, at Carrington, the AL training complex, they, all the scouts offices were empty. They, they kind of been on, almost on this hiring freeze where they just not really filled a lot of the football positions. And it, you, the best parallel for United now is Liverpool in the 1990s. That, that's who they are. And it's a club that has been dominant for so long that they've not noticed the currents changing beneath them. And they're having to catch up. And I think the director of football will be a start of that. My worry with the names that link with people like Monchi and Fabio Baratici at Juventus, they're deal makers. They're not, it's a Man City word, but they're not like holistic figures who want to, City really didn't do that word any famous. It's a really good word for what you need. The holistic figure will kind of join together the youth academy and the marketing side and the, the, the yeah the recruitment side of it and making sure that everything kind of works together and I think someone in, in Germany told me a couple of weeks ago that what, what you need in that, in that figure, that sporting director figure, is someone who's kind of done a bit of all of those jobs so they understand how the club fits together and I think the risk that United will look for is that they'll go, yeah, they'll go for someone who can help them in the transfer market when asking what you need is you need, you need a technocrat, basically. You need a really good technocrat to bring everything together to make you a modern club. Uh, you, you need someone uh, in a decision-making position who cares about more than just himself the short term and, and I guess cares about other human beings at the club. Now that can actually be a manager. If you look at how Klopp has imposed his sort of ethos at Liverpool quite successfully, he does it, he expresses it through his signings, he expresses it through his faith in young players. Pochettino does exactly the same at Tottenham. And for somebody like Klopp, he's got Michael Edwards, who is essentially, you know, a souped up analyst, a good deal maker, technocrat, but not necessarily, uh, you know, the, the holistic sort of major figure of the club. But Manchester United, I don't think I've got anybody who looks outside themselves at the moment. I don't think they, in the board, there's football knowledge. I think, as we said, the manager's short term is about himself. So who, wh whatever the mix is, they just need to get somebody who thinks strategically. If they're going to keep Mourinho, then obviously they need a big director of football who thinks strategy. They could go another way. They could, I mean, somebody suggested to me that um, the best manager they could get would be to go for Nagelsmann or Tedesco or somebody from 
one of the younger guys in the Bundesliga who, who, who has got a holistic view of how to build a club and then build around them. I don't think it matters what the mix is. I just think it's important that somebody at some level has got to start thinking uh, long-term and strategically about, about the football at United. I think we've proved pretty conclusively in these 45 minutes that media's not obsessed with Jose Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll take a break. His name will not be mentioned in the second half. Um, uh, buy some books, have a drink. We'll be back in about 15 minutes. <laughs>